Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. everyone and welcome back to the PA the FI way podcast, your guide to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. I hope you are all having a wonderful week. I'm not sure if it has been like this where you are, but for some reason this week has been so incredibly windy the past few days. So I am going to do my best to try to edit out some of the noise in this episode, but Please bear with me if you do hear some of the howling wind in the background here. I am very excited to review this topic with you today. And the reason why is because as APA, I have been compensated or paid in a variety of ways over the almost seven years that I have been practicing medicine. And honestly, some of those ways have been downright confusing to try to learn what they really mean. And when you are looking for jobs as a new grad, or even as a seasoned PA, if you're trying to apply for new jobs, if you really do not understand how you are going to be compensated for the position, it can just be sort of a turnoff, so to speak, when you are looking for jobs. So I think that this topic is actually very important for all current and future PAs out there. So we are going to discuss an overview of various physician assistant compensation models. So did you know that as a PA, there are several different ways that you can be compensated? Your income may not be as clear cut as getting paid through hourly pay or through a salary. So in this episode, I would like to review the various compensation models that you may run into as a PA, as well as discuss some of the pros and cons of each so that you are at least somewhat familiar with these different options and have somewhat of an understanding of these when you're interviewing for new jobs. Understanding the compensation model that a job is wanting to pay you can also help you with negotiation. During this episode, I'm also going to share which types of compensation models that I've experienced over my years of practicing as a PA, along with some of the detailed income numbers because I think that, honestly, a lot of this information can be very helpful for other PAs, and I don't think that sharing income is done enough in the PA profession. However, I really want to point out that income as a PA is clearly based on so many different factors, such as the years of experience that you have had working as a PA, the medical specialty you are wanting to work in, the state, and even the city or county within a state, as well as the total compensation package, including benefits. So the first way that you can get paid as a PA 
is by an hourly rate. So depending upon what type of patient care experience and healthcare experience that you had prior to PA school, you very likely were paid via an hourly rate. So this type of compensation likely seems very straightforward and intuitive to you. When you are paid on an hourly rate, you are paid strictly based on the time that you are working while at your job. To some, this type of compensation can be appealing with a thought process of, if I'm at work, I want to be paid for the time that I'm spending there, including the time it takes to complete everything and complete my charting. I am currently paid on this compensation model for my side job as a PA. I have a casual position where I work in retail medicine slash walk-in at some of the local hy grocery stores. In this role, I am the only provider and only employee on site for the shifts that I work. This means that I'm responsible for checking the patients in, taking their insurance card, rooming them, checking their vitals, completing the entire visit and assessment, collecting and running any tests, we only have a few labs that we can run on site, and providing vaccinations. Additionally, we as APP providers, so both PAs and NPs work at these sites, are answering the phone calls, which honestly often leads to some triage, and sometimes you recommend that patients instead go to an urgent care that has more testing capabilities, such as expanded labs and imaging options, or sometimes even direct them to the ER, saying that no, chest pain would not be appropriate to come into the grocery store and be evaluated at the retail medicine clinic. In addition to all of those roles that I mentioned, we also clean the clinic. I enjoy being paid hourly for this role because I usually clock in a few minutes early to quote open up the clinic and run through the opening checklist and clock out a few minutes late to quote shut down the clinic and clean everything or wrap up charting if I need to. So it's nice to be paid for those extra minutes. The more traditional urgent care employees through our system also get paid hourly. Again, it's nice to get paid for the time that we are there. However, keep in mind that in urgent care, it is often, quote, feast or famine, which means that some shifts can be slower, while others can be absolutely crazy busy with how many patients you have to see. It does sound as though there is some type of bonus for them based on patient volume, which will be further discussed in a bit. Although I have heard that it is somewhat difficult for them to meet the threshold of the amount of patients to be seen, so most of them would consider themselves as being compensated by an hourly rate. Hourly compensation can seem more burdensome on those days that you are, quote, swamped with patients, since you're getting compensated only for the same amount of time as your other shifts, but for a lot more work. However, on the other hand, If you do not have many patients for that shift, hourly pay can be pretty nice. The next way that you can be compensated as a PA is through a salary. Many PAs, especially newly graduated PAs, are compensated on the salary model. Some PAs enjoy this type of pay while thinking, at least I know what my income is going to be every year. When you're paid a salary, this is the total amount that your paychecks will add up to every year. This can take the pressure off of you and the guesswork when it comes to your compensation that other models can create, which we are going to discuss in a moment. 
it likely would be easier to budget if you know what your monthly income will be based on your salary. Another benefit of earning a salary is that you often get true PTO or paid time off as part of your benefits package. This means that if you take a day off, you are paid for that day. Some compensation models do not offer true PTO, meaning that you don't get paid for those days off, depending on your employer. A drawback of being compensated through a salary is that sometimes you are working longer than your scheduled hours as a PA while not getting compensated for those extra hours. You likely know if you are a practicing PA or a PA student on rotations that many of your days do not actually end on time. I really believe that this is specialty dependent, but also somewhat dependent on the provider with how efficient they can be in completing their work and charting. But regardless, we can all agree that it is a complete drag if you are scheduled to be done at 5 p.m., but really you're wrapping up seeing your patients and charting until 6 p.m. or even 6.30, but that you are not getting compensated for any of this extra time. However, one of my former PA classmates shared that he has had a salary position that actually paid him any overtime after 40 hours as time and a half. Other former PA classmates have shared that they have had salary roles where they rarely have to work their full scheduled hours in a day and could often leave work early to head home. So clearly these last couple of examples sound like excellent salary positions. But I just want to caution you that some salary positions often can have PAs working one or even two extra hours on many days after their scheduled end time. So it's really important that you clarify those details when you are interviewing. I believe that work-life balance is meant to be found along the journey to financial independence. So it is important that you are not working many hours of overtime and not being paid for it. I have been paid via a salary a few times over the past several years of practicing as a PA. The first time was during my first job right out of PA school, which was a family medicine and walk-in clinic that also served a large amount of rheumatologic and internal medicine patients because the owner of the clinic and the supervising physician was a rheumatologist. I was paid a salary of approximately $85,000 for this first job in 2014. For this first job, I had a rotation at the clinic during PA school, and the owner of the clinic and my supervising physician hired myself and two other new PAs right out of PA school, and one was actually one of my classmates. He hired us as he had a couple of other PAs transitioning on to other jobs, and we got hired under his company right before he was bought out by a large local healthcare system. We knew that the buyout transition was going to be occurring shortly after we started. The second time that I was paid a salary was when I switched from that clinic to a different family medicine clinic closer to home within the same healthcare system. And I was paid a salary of $110,000, which was just a little under two years after starting my first PA position. With this transition, the system and clinic usually paid their providers a salary for their first year of being at that location as your patient practice would need to have time to build up before transitioning to compensation through RVUs, which we will discuss next. The third time that I've been paid a salary is with my current role. 
Earlier this year, I transitioned out of family medicine into outpatient psychiatry, and the company told me during the hiring process that they pretty much pay their APPs based on salary, mostly because of the somewhat large percentage of psychiatric patients that no-show their appointments. However, I have heard that there is at least one APP that has worked for the company for several years that is compensated through RVUs. All right, so let's discuss RVUs. So another way that you can be paid is through straight RVUs. So you have heard me mention RVUs a few times already. And if you've never heard of these, or if you're still a pre-PA or a PA student, you may be saying, huh? This is one of the most complicated and frankly somewhat confusing compensation models that PAs can be paid through, but it certainly has some benefits in addition to a few disadvantages. If you are looking online for information about RVUs, you likely will come across the term lowercase w with capital R, capital V, capital U. And what that acronym stands for is something called WORK, Relative Value Units. And they are added over the year of a PA's employment, which will thus determine the PA's compensation based on these. So there is another term called total RVU. And what that is, is actually calculated based on the work RVU of the provider, plus practice expenses and insurance. But for simplicity's sake going forward, I'm just going to use the term RVUs when discussing a PA's compensation. If you would like more details explaining the background about RVUs or how they're derived, I would encourage you to try to research a little bit more online, but I would like to discuss how getting paid with RVUs affects you. Many physicians are paid on RVUs as well in many areas of medicine. So how does a PA get compensated with RVUs? Well, for each type of visit and or procedure that is completed, an RVU amount is assigned based on the CPT codes or code that is entered and used for the visit. Then, given how many patients you see in a day or any other time period such as a week or month or year, the RVUs all get added up over that time frame. Each individual RVU, so one RVU, is assigned a certain dollar amount. So your compensation would be how many RVUs you have collected over that time frame times the dollar amount or value of one RVU. So that would equal your pay. <sighs> that was a little complicated to explain, but I hope that you are still with me. So you may be asking yourself, what are some of the pros and cons of this compensation model? The first benefit that I would like to discuss can be a benefit for both the PA and the employer. And what that means is that this model is based on a productivity model. So the more productive or busy you are as a PA, the more you will get paid. So you can see how this can benefit both the PA and the employer. So many PAs can see this type of compensation as somewhat of an incentive because they may have the thought, the harder I work, the more I earn. For example, if your day is an extremely busy day of seeing many patients and you do have to end up staying a bit later past your scheduled end time, you can at least tell yourself, well, at least I'm getting paid for all of these visits. 
Additionally, the CPT codes that are submitted after each visit are higher for more complicated patient visits, and there can often be more than one code submitted for each visit. For example, if you are a PA working in family medicine, you theoretically could see a patient who would like a preventative physical completed, plus discuss multiple new concerns, plus have an abscess that needs an IND or incision and drainage. Now, as a side note, many providers may choose to address the urgent concerns and or the abscess that needs to be drained in that visit and recommend that the patient return for their physical another day. However, this example is hypothetical and could occur, so bear with me as I use this example to illustrate a point. If that visit occurs, the PA could bill for the preventative physical and split bill, meaning having an extra add-on charge for the multiple new concerns because insurances only cover a preventative physical every year. They don't cover the laundry list of the new concerns that patients also often bring up. Plus, there can be a code submitted or an extra charge for the procedure after you complete the IND. So again, with this complicated visit with several items, you would earn for the total amount of RVUs that this visit generated, which very likely would be more than an hourly rate or the salary amount for that time spent for the visit. I was compensated through straight RVUs for the three and a half years that I worked at that last position after that first year of having that salary while my practice built up in family medicine. Most years, the dollar amount that each RVU equaled was increased. And that is often practice dependent, but the practice or the healthcare system would try to find local data to use to try to decide how much one RVU would equal for a PA in family medicine. And my patient panel increased over the years as well, which caused busier days, which meant my income increased year to year. During my final year, my compensation was approximately $155,000. Yes, it is completely wild to think that my income increased from around $85,000 to around $155,000 within the course of only six and a half years of practicing as a PA. But I wanted to share that information with you as kind of a motivating factor. The first drawback to being paid through an RVU-only model may have already dawned on some of you. If your patients do not show up for their scheduled visits, which would be called a quote no-show, then you are not earning any money whatsoever during that time. However, you can often use that time to do administrative tasks, such as charting or working on your in-basket, which is usually where you are reviewing lab results, refilling medications, answering patient messages. Another disadvantage can be that you may not have true PTO. When I was paid only on straight RVUs, if I was not working, I was not generating any RVUs, therefore I was not getting paid. So during that job, I had 24 days of time off, again, not PTO or paid time off, but time off that they would allow each year that included vacation days, sick days, and CME. In addition to every major holiday off, because again, it was family medicine and a lot of family medicine clinics are not open on major holidays. In that role, I also worked four 10-hour days. So I had one weekday off every week 
in addition to every weekend off. So as a side note, if you can work four days in a week, do it. It is absolutely, truly amazing. I use that weekday for self-care, hobbies, side hustles, podcasting, blogging, chores, errands, meeting up with friends, etc. During one of my roles, I had some half days that I would work, but honestly, those half days really were not true half days because after wrapping up your day and commuting back home, you really did not have much left in the day. So if you really can push for having a full weekday off, go for it. During that job, my time off days, which were separate from my scheduled one day off during the week, were use it or lose it, meaning that they did not roll over into the next year. So some providers at my clinic did not take all of their days off because they wanted to earn more and they didn't want to have the time off. I, on the other hand, took every single day off that I could. This is because I absolutely love to travel, spend time at my husband's family's cabin, go on fishing trips, and it was important to have days off for my mental well-being. Additionally, it was a bummer if I really had to use one of those days off as a sick day, as of course I would way rather have used it during a trip somewhere. An RVU model can be difficult for several specialties that PAs practice in, especially surgical subspecialties. This is because it is the surgeon who typically cements the coding for the procedure, so it can be difficult for organizations to track RVUs for the PAs that are scrubbed in as well during the procedures. Many follow-up clinic visits that PAs do with the patients after their procedure or surgery are considered to be under the global period from the procedure, meaning that there really isn't any RVUs that can be billed for that visit. Another drawback for being paid on an RVU model is that your pay can be somewhat uncertain for the year because again, it is based on the amount of patients that you see as well as the complexity of the visits. This can be difficult if you are trying to stick with a strict monthly budget. So how did my paychecks work during that time? So what my previous employer allowed us to do was to choose a draw amount. So the draw amount was the amount that we would like our paychecks to be. And how they encouraged us to factor this in was to pick a draw amount between 85% up to 95% of what our past six months of RVU total income calculated out to be. Then every quarter, we would get our bonus of the excess amount. This really wasn't a true bonus, but rather what the company owed us for our earned RVUs over the past three months. I chose to have a conservative draw, meaning on the lower end, because then I felt reassured that I would for sure not be short of what they were paying me, and my husband and I looked forward to those larger bonuses every quarter. If providers were short RVUs from the draw that they had selected, then the employer would work with them to adjust the draw or sometimes the provider may owe the employer an extra few shifts. So if this method is used at your workplace and they allow you to select a draw, then you know what your paychecks will be, which does allow you to come up with a budget, but it excludes the bonuses. When I first had transitioned from salary to being compensated by only RVUs, I was admittedly a bit nervous due to the uncertainty, 
but my employer at the time had been compensating many APPs and physicians for several years under this model. So when they required each of us to switch after a year of building our practice, it really did work out to be in our favor. I wanted to review this because I think so many PAs, whether they are new grads or whether they are seasoned PAs, are frankly a bit terrified of the RVU model. However, it really can benefit you depending on the situation. The next way that you can be compensated as a PA is through a base salary plus an RVU bonus structure. So some employers will choose to compensate PAs by providing a salary that's a base, meaning that no matter what for that year, you will at least earn that salary. But the bonus that you could earn in the year is based on how many RVUs have accumulated over the year. Although I have never been paid under this method, it does seem to be somewhat appealing as it seems to combine the certainty of having a salary in addition to the motivation of having a productivity bonus. Again, the more patients and the more complex cases you see, the higher your income would be. And the final compensation method for PAs that I would like to review today is that you can be paid based on a base salary plus a different type of incentive bonus that's not an RVU type of bonus. For example, I've heard of some PAs getting bonuses for seeing a higher volume of patients than a certain threshold over a certain period of time. And I have also heard of some partial bonuses being provided to PAs based on patient outcomes or patient satisfaction. For example, PAs could be provided bonuses based on how few uncontrolled diabetic or hypertensive patients that they have in their panel, or by how patients, quote, score the visit with the PA afterwards. I do think that these last couple of ways of earning bonuses are somewhat uncommon, though it sounds as though a lot of healthcare systems are kind of going that direction and not necessarily having a large amount of your pay being based on these, but at least a portion of them. But I'm sure you can identify that there can be some downfalls as to having part of your pay based on these. So for example, If you refuse to prescribe an antibiotic for a virus or refuse to prescribe pain pills because the patient wants opioids, and then they give you a poor score, I really would not want my pay to be docked for those reasons. So this list of various compensation models that we reviewed today for PAs is not all-inclusive, but I hope that it gives you some guidance and some things to consider when you are searching for new jobs, whether you are a new grad or a seasoned PA. And then I hope that you consider these types of options in your negotiation as well. So thank you so much to each individual one of you for taking the time to listen today. Again, I truly appreciate it. If you have found this information to be helpful for you, I encourage you to leave a five-star review and comment what parts of the podcast you enjoy listening to. Feel free to find PA the FI way on Facebook There is a page, and then if you go to the page and click one of the tabs over, you can see the group that you can join, and it's a private Facebook group for current and future PAs alike. Additionally, I would appreciate it if you would like to join on Instagram at PA the FI way, where you can find some more financial independence tips and motivation for your journey. Finally, if you would like to visit the blog at pathefiway.com, 
You can also be notified when new blog posts go out. I would be so grateful for all of the support as it will help future PAs and current PAs find this information so that they can achieve financial independence as well. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.